Welcome to the conversation. This is the AEC Disruptors Podcast, and I'm your host, Christopher Riddell. What if I told you that collaboration may not be the right word to describe how we work together? Are we all working towards a shared goal together? Or are we working towards our own personal goals at the expense of that shared goal? Is cooperation a better term? There are a lot of collaboration myths out there, and on today's podcast, we look to debunk some of those we hear so often. Christina Holden, Director of Design Technology at Hastings, and John A., Director of AETG here at Applied Software, join me to discuss this idea of collaboration and what we might be missing when we talk about it. Let's get to it. Was it the vanilla ice said back in the day? Oh, gosh. Ice, <laughs> ice, baby. <laughs> <laughs> there, um, never mind. We won't go there. Um, <laughs> so I encourage no. you to tell me, what did vanilla ice say? I'm having like a brain fart right now. I can't even remember terrible music. Um, (laughs) Oh, yes. Um, Where he's in the beginning of the song, he's like, all right, stop. Collaborate and listen. This is my my attempt at rapping. So so just so you know. Child of the 80s here. Sorry, guys. (laughs) We were talking and they were like, if you're passionate about it, your passion will show and you'll have fun doing it. And so, you know. That's a great quote. Yeah. There was a couple of things I wanted to talk about between the two of you, and we can kind of feel things out. It's like kind of a round table, maybe more like a triangle since they're just three of us. But um, (laughs) I really liked what you did with debunking collaboration myths. You know, the, the goal with all of these podcasts is not only just like get information out, but actually try to make a difference or push the industry forward. And so if we, you know, we can talk about all the bad stuff, as long as we can offer some sort of positive insight on the good stuff. So what do you guys think? Yeah, sounds great. John, you have um, your experience, not only do you have it actually in the industry, but now outside as a consultant, you see everyone's workflow in a way. Um, You know, what are your thoughts on where do you see this going or where do you see everyone in terms of the mistrust, the technology that we have? You know, recently you and I were talking about all of a sudden now we're seeing more and more customers come back and say, hey, I kind of want to get into that high trust environment. Uh, do you see the needle moving at all or where do you kind of see us going, um, where we've been and where we're, where we're headed there? Kind of step, taking a step back, I've, I've always tried to promote the fact whenever I'm working with people and helping them implement Revit <clears throat> and BIM workflows in their organization that it's an opportunity to collaborate at a higher level. You'll, you'll have a better project, you'll have a better outcome, you'll have greater success if you collaborate more effectively with your constituents, your consultants, the contractor, the owner, anyone involved in the project. And I think BIM 360 type tools that help bring the information to everybody's fingertips, wherever they are at a moment's notice, Um, are changing the landscape and I think you know there's still that 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 traditional paranoia that that Christina kind of pointed out that architects fear you know giving something away because they they don't know if somebody will use it properly but I think your experience is proving that the more you do that as long as you're in communication the outcome is is going to be a good one so I think um, we've seen other companies, you know, adopt this uh, type of solution and try and use the permissions to really ratchet it down so that they can only do so much. And then they end up 
handicapping the members of the team and then they back off of that and everything's okay. So people are learning a little bit, sometimes the hard way, sometimes they're listening to advice and some are going with a high trust because it's easier in certain respects and, and doesn't prevent things from um, being shared as quickly as they could be. So I think it just depends. I, I, I think I think we're growing. <laughs> you know, it's like an it's like a we're like children in, in this with this technology, and we're growing up with it. Um, I just think there are some older attitudes in our industry based on you know um, generations of, of doubt and contracts and not having the technology. And so now that you have it, it's like, well, do we have to do this? And it's like, no. You should be wanting to do this. No, I think it's a great point. And the fear of the architect, I think, is interesting because it actually ties directly into uh, one of your myths, Christina. The, <laughs> the, if, if I give a contractor access to my model, they're going to use that information against me. Do you feel that is a pretty prevalent? Um, I know there's a lot of animosity, and I think we'll talk on. I touched on that a little bit on my last podcast with Construction Brothers. We talked about the animosity between construction and architect or contracts and architects. Um, is that, do you think that's a real myth or is it not, is it true or is it not? Well, you know, I'm not going to say that it doesn't happen ever. Um, but in my experience and with the contractors that we've been fortunate enough to work with, um, you know, the earlier and more often we're sharing our model, the more opportunities we're, we're having to utilize things like model-based estimation programs, which those of course are not going to be the end all be all of, of our pricing exercise with a contractor, but they do get us a couple steps ahead. And, and if us sharing a model with them kind of you know, puts things in a ballpark range in a much faster, more efficient way, we see that as a plus. Um, and to be honest, I think a lot of things, you know, with, with architects, we, we think that, um, you know, our designs are important, but for, for me, the model is about conveying those designs. So if we're not willing to use all methods to kind of convey that design intent, um, you know, what are, I think we're doing it wrong. Um, you know, the, one of the things that we've started including more in our documents, just because sometimes the contractor isn't using the model, which, you know, we're seeing less of that. Contractors are asking for that more and more, but, you know, we're including axons and views of the model if, if we aren't, you know, providing them with the model, just because sometimes a section in an elevation isn't really going to get you the full picture. Uh, just like, you know, if we're working with a concrete sub or a precast sub, you know, handing over our model to them allows them to do better quantification on, on that particular material or um, penalizing that material. I, we've had some really great uh, meetings with precast subs where they've brought in their own BIM model based off of ours. And, you know, we're linking that in and looking at where the, the panel joints line up. And um, I think, I think we'd be missing out on quite a bit if we were holding that model too close. Um, and, you know, I mean, legally as architects and, and in our contracts, um, the model is not legally part of the um, you know, issued construction documents and specs. So to me, it's an added bonus um, 
And, you know, there's a lot of architects have language written up about how the model is for design intent only. So I feel like when you have that language in place and you understand that this is a tool to convey design intent again, I mean, we've only seen positives so far. I think the, the idea of the axon is a great example because I I had a colleague that, um, you know, where we worked, uh, Revit was a fairly newer tool. And so he, and he'd been using it for a long time. He put some axons. We had this uh, lobby that was this three-story atrium that was curved. Um, So it was kind of hard to dimension. It was hard to do a lot with and really get an idea of what was going on. And so he put an axon and a couple of perspectives on the sheet along with the details. And he kind of got some flack in, in the office about we don't put pictures on our drawings. And so we pulled it off and then, you know, fast forward to, I don't know, halfway through construction or when it came to that part, we got an RFI that was, could you provide a perspective? Cause we can't tell what's going on. And so <laughs> it was kind of justification. I think, I think it made him feel better. Cause it's like, I knew that's what we should have done. Uh, but a little bit is it's that kind of old, old school uh, mentality, you know, things are a little different. Um, I heard the other day, or I was um, listening to a a strategic professor, and he made the comment, like, if you are not changing and improving, you are failing, because everyone else around you is improving. And so by doing nothing, you're actually falling behind. And so for the people that are embracing all of this that we have at our disposal, there's somebody out there that's already taken advantage of it. So if you're not, you are failing and falling behind. Strong words, Christopher, strong words. (laughs) It's it's my podcast. I can say what I want. (laughs) People don't have to listen. No, I want them to listen. They have to listen. Um, John, what's your favorite collaboration myth that you hear? My favorite favorite favorite. collaboration myth? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I touched on it a little bit is that, um, oh, so I'll give you, I'll give you the one I was thinking about it anyways. Um, and a lot of this is, is the architect, but I've seen it on, you know, consultant side too, is they don't want to share their model or give access to their model because of two things. They fear that, you know, somebody's going to change something in the model, which is kind of ridiculous. I don't want to have any responsibility of messing up somebody else's work. I don't want to move a column. I don't know what that's going to do with me. (laughs) Or or changing building system? No way. But the other one is the, um, this, this, this intellectual property. Architects, we have, I'm not saying all architects are this way, but I've, I've, we've run up, run into enough customers that have said, well, we don't, we're, we're, you know, how do we protect our, our intellectual property um, in, in our models? And I said, well, what intellectual property do you have in your models? I said, you started off with a piece of software that, you know, create, provided all the base templates and you may make a template that has content in it. And a lot of that content came from other places. Maybe you created some of the content, but really what is in there that is so unique to you uh, than another firm, right? Really? You know what I mean? I said, your intellectual property is your design acumen. You're being hired as an architect because of your ability to design and solve a problem for a customer, for a client. It's not the Revit model, all right? So, Gero, to me, that's a myth. I don't know how you feel about it, Christina, but I just laugh whenever somebody says that. 
I'm, I'm with you. No one, no one wants to steal my standard details. They have their own standard details. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but like, yeah, that's not how you detail a window. What are they doing over there? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the contractor is, is going to get in there and his subs are going to redo the metal studs anyway. Who cares? Um, no. Um, so I, I'm kind of in agreement with you and I've always, I've always been more, more giving of my models than others just because I think one, nobody else is really going to care that much about our, our details as we think. And if we think that that model is what's standing between us and winning jobs or, or doing great work, then we're not doing our job well enough. Like if that's what's winning us work, then, I mean, we have so much else that, that, um, you know, as a part of our job as architects, um, you know, we're so much more than just a model. So uh, it's just a tool. Yeah, exactly. No, I agree with all that. I mean, the only, when we get into intellectual property, if, if there was a way, this is the only way I would think is if I was able to share my model with you and from that model, you could extract the add-ins that I created and the dynamo graphs that I made, then maybe, yeah, we could say that was an issue, but you can't. So like, once I give you my model, unless I've made like the coolest family in the entire world. And even then, if you, you can find everything on YouTube anyway. So yeah. half the stuff that like I create in Dynamo. Yeah. Okay. I may have had to like figure it out or something, but everything basically is in you on YouTube or there's so many of those things that are tied to Revit that are part of an open source network already. So there's, I don't, I've never seen anything that I would say, Oh wow. I want to steal that for an IP purpose. Um, so I don't think that, like you said, that should not be your differentiator. What your differentiator really is, is one, your design. I mean, that hands down, because that's why we're getting hired. But two, your ability to collaborate and get through the project and, you know, how you involve all the stakeholders and all the things that go into it. But yeah, I'm in, I'm in agreement. The, the IP argument, I think, is always kind of a little bogus. The... Uh, I was thinking there was one more, but, well, okay, here's another one I hear a lot, and I'm curious, is the, the have you heard that the thought of collaboration actually costs more to a project? Have <laughs> either of you heard that? Never. No? Well, you can say I haven't, but I, I, I laugh at it. I, I've heard people say it, maybe a few, and I think they try to, like, justify, like, oh, that's more meetings, that's more, you know um software or whatever but I, I think that's like whenever i do hear something like that which is few and far between i think that's a very short-sighted mindset over the long term of a the life cycle of a project i've, I've never found in my experience and you know I'm a, I'm a little bit older than christina so my experience <laughs> goes back be, before revit and um but collaboration has always been around, you know, we're, we're just inventing better ways to collaborate and you talking about when you guys use stone tablets, John, to, <laughs> yeah, I still have my chisel. When people Kate. picked up the phone, right? <laughs> yeah. No, no, we used fax machines a lot <laughs> and the phone. The fax machine is actually a, a fascinating piece of technology when you think about it. Like how you could send, like I could have a piece of paper here and I could send the version of this paper somewhere else at a time that it occurred. I think it actually is a rather fascinating- Teleportation. <laughs> I mean, it, in a way, it's like Willy Wonka didn't, or was it Willy Wonka? There was something where they teleported someone across the room mm -hmm. and made them really yep. small or something. 
the conversation I, the presentation I did on Monday <clears throat> at Grayling Insurance, that was interesting because, um, God, I can't remember his name, but one of the, um, one of the principals there kept, you know, grilling me on, on, you know, why, why people don't do, you know, in industry don't do certain things. And it, well, a lot of the questions were coming up around BIM 360. So it was interesting. And was he asking, you think, from a, uh, a risk perspective? I mean, because they were insurance, right? Absolutely, they were. Um, you know, and I, and I, tried to, I tried to settle him down a little bit, and I said, look, you're, you're not talking about a technology issue at this point. You're talking about people agreeing to, um, you know, share information and, and use it wisely. And I said... This may be off topic, but it, it was just interesting that he was kind of going down this path that he's been led, right? Because he's the one who's trying to write insurance to cover a particular situation or tell them that he can't. And he's asking questions about, you know, when people do and do not share, you know, what, what are the consequences? I'm like, well, the consequences are you're not going to have as an efficient project or maybe a well-coordinated one, and you're still going to have those coordination issues and maybe errors and emissions and stuff like that. And he said, yeah, we, we see that all the time. How is something like BIM 360 going to prevent that? And I said, it alone is not going to prevent that, but it can help facilitate an environment where you're collaborating on a single set of data and using that so that there is um, better coordination between communication and the model development and you know you end up with a better product before it ever gets built in the field and I mean he, he seemed to acknowledge that but you know they're, they're still seeing a lot of the same petty um, legal actions because you know everybody's pointing the finger at each other and I think that the only reason I brought that up is because I think that's still one of the biggest impediments in our industry is this idea that um, you know we're always trying to find blame instead of work together to prevent an issue and I'm not saying all all projects and all agreements end up that way i think he's more jaded because that's that's the bad side of their business right is is insurance and litigation so they see that more christina you know what are your thoughts on when we look at impediments to collaboration i mean do you see the legal side as being a uh, a major contributor oh yeah especially you know you know background in architecture. I work for an architecture firm right now. Um, I think traditionally architects have been very wary of, you know, sharing and being open with their information. Um, and I think, you know, I think we're seeing a big shift in the industry where, you know, we're opening up and we're sharing that information more, but certainly, you know, we sat down when, you know, when, when we started using Revit and BIM became more prevalent and we started sharing those models, we definitely had to sit down with our lawyers and talked about that and what that means for us as architects um, legally. Uh, and, you know, I think um, having that conversation, you know, allowed us to feel a little bit more comfortable. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, I think in the early days, we weren't really quite sure, like, what is this BIM going to do? Um, and I think 
now that we're all a little bit more comfortable and it's, it's another tool in the toolbox, it's not something that's so crazy and unattainable and out there and weird, you know, we, we feel a lot more comfortable using that as, as just another means to convey our design intent and to convey that information. Um, I think we've, we feel a lot better, you know, sharing, sharing more information these days. I think, you know, in our process, a lot of our projects, a lot of our clients are wanting to bring contractors on to the projects earlier and earlier. Um, and of course, you know, there are contract contractual things that go along with that. But I think that we are seeing more benefit with being more open with our information and, and collaborating and cooperating with each other earlier uh, and more often within the project. So I think, I think for us, you know, being a little uncomfortable at first and doing it the first few times um, has really led to better process for us and a better product for our clients. I think the mistrust um, is interesting because, you know, you and I, Christina, were kind of working together on a project here recently. And, you know, um, there's certain, regardless of what the system is, right? So, you know, we mentioned BIM 360, but regardless of what the product is itself, there's normally different workflows that you can create that are either more high trust versus not high trust. And um, that was a great example of a project that was initially set up in a, in a low trust environment because of, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's traditional animosity or how I feel. Um, and in fact, that low trust actually was making it difficult for your team to work. Yeah. And so it's interesting that to get around that, we basically have to trust you with our data, with our, you know, whatever it is, I have to now trust you that I'm going to give you access. And I just got to hope you're not going to do anything with it um, that I wouldn't want you to. But it was interesting how that mistrust is actually impeding your own own process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, and, you know, I feel like the less giving you are with some of that information, the harder, yeah, exactly. The harder it's going to be to figure, figure out the solutions to your problems. Um, you know, it, it definitely took us some time to get used to being in that high trust environment. You know, we started uh, using BIM 360, team a long time ago, which then, you know, that was only a high trust environment. Uh, luckily, we were going in on that project with a um, partnered architecture firm that we had worked with in the past, uh, obviously not in this collaborative of an environment. We weren't, you know, in the past, we weren't working in the same model together. Um, but we had done a project with them. I believe it was actually, it was CAD, it was CAD project. So that was, had its own set of issues. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that first project, we really had to like, we, we actually probably talked more to each other on that first project, just figuring out how to not step on each other's toes and how to make sure we were conveying the right information back and forth and, and understanding, you know, if we're both hired by the client at the end of the day, the product for the client should be at the top of our mind and we should worry less about, um, you know, I mean, obviously scope is important, but, but the goal is, is the product for the client. And so that was something that we kind of continually had to keep at the front of our mind. We're more giving with our information and, and our, our models these days than we ever have been just because it makes, it makes working through all of those, all of those problems so much easier. I want to talk some on this idea of 
collaboration, cooperation, communication. And then what was your fourth one, John? Coordination? The Coordination. four C's? Yeah. The, the four C's of working together. Um, and so to set the stage, Christina, this was uh, what, what was going on was John, you know, was prepping for this um, event you guys both spoke at. And he was talking about, well, actually, John, I'll let you describe kind of how we landed on this conversation. Well, I mean, I actually wanted to bounce some ideas off of you because I, I'm so used to kind of talking in the context of the tools and I didn't want to talk about the tools. I wanted to talk about, you know, what, what it is and are we doing it well? And, and part of the conversation, I get, you know, my background is a little varied. I may be an architect, but I've also managed technology for an architecture firm and and, you know, in our own organizations, I, I get very frustrated with email. We, 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 we try and use it as a tool for replacing a conversation where we're going back and forth, back and forth, almost like it's I am. And it's like, all right, at some point, you know, shouldn't you just pick up the phone, <laughs> schedule <laughs> me, <laughs> you know, something like that. And some we, we some of that's generational, I think, because I'm good. I will admit as a millennial, I hate talking on the phone. It like brings me to no end. I'm st I'm st still considered a baby. I'm a baby boomer, all right. So I go back <laughs> far enough, and I don't like talking on the phone. But the minute I'm on the phone, I'm fine. It's just the I have to force it's myself. Thought. Well, it's like we uh, we ordered um, we ordered a new freezer because ours died and we needed to prep. And uh, so they delivered it and they were going to haul away the other one. And so they get here and they're like, our truck's full. We can't haul it away. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not good. So they're like, somebody's going to come on Monday. Well, no one showed up on Monday. I'm afraid that they're going to show up on Tuesday. So I pulled this refrigerator out into the driveway because I'm like, they're just going to take this. I got to get this out of here. No one shows up on Tuesday. So I emailed them because I'm like, okay, well, I need to get a hold of someone. So I email, no one responds to my email for like a day. I finally have to call. I don't want to call. I have to call. It like just bothered me. And within like four minutes of talking on the phone, we had a new day scheduled, but I was totally okay. I think with my refrigerator in the driveway, just waiting for, waiting for an email. <laughs> but, but the, you know, you know, going back to the original question, I yeah, mean, sorry. <laughs> You know, we, we kind of we kind of bounced around on, on a lot of topics. And I think one of the other things I said is that, you know, as much as we're using a more a, 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 a tools and a process that really encourages and, and, if you will, flourishes when you do have a better and higher form of collaboration. Um, in, in the past, I've worked on projects where I did have a good relationship with my consultants, with the owner, and with the contractor, and uh, to the point where I didn't feel like they were trying to nickel and dime me or the owner for every possible mistake I might have made in my set of drawings. They would come to me and we'd work through things, and if something had to be a change order, we agreed on it. Um, I hear too often about how uh, an architect will complain about there being change order to death. And, you know, I think that's where you hear some of the animosity between, um, you know, contractor and architect or architect and consultants and so on. I, I don't think it's necessary. I, I think everybody wants the same thing. They want to do a great project. They just want to make money doing it. 
so that sort of framed the, the talk. And so then we, with John, I think what you decided to do was, you know, start at the very basic, right? So we looked up collaboration. So I looked up a couple of definitions because I was curious. So um, Christine, I want to get your thoughts here in a second. But collaboration, the one we landed on was a very simple definition of two or more people working together towards a shared goal. And, um, you know, that is a lofty, you know, sounds great on the surface. And so then um, as I was sort of helping John prep for this, I started thinking about another term that you don't ever really hear in, in place of collaboration, but that was cooperation. And so cooperation is to work with other people by achieving one's own goals as part of a common goal. And so my question to um, first to you, Christina, is do you believe that in fact, in our industry, we don't actually collaborate. We, uh, we cooperate with each other because we are working towards a common goal, but really it's to make sure we achieve our own goals. And is that the issue that we are collaborating? I mean, we are cooperating and not collaborating. And then, and then is that okay? Is it okay that we only cooperate? So what are your thoughts on sort of the, you know, the terminology and, and how we're so used to talking about collaboration and, but maybe that's not what we're doing. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's, it's interesting when John was talking about this at, at our event, I was like, you know, the more that I think about it, a lot of what we do is, is probably more in line with the cooperation definition, you know, especially with, our consultants. I think that, you know, we're all trying to achieve our own piece of the project, but we also want it to all work together well. Um, I, I think most of the time what we do see is cooperation. There are a few instances where, you know, I would say we lean more towards collaboration. Uh, may, there are a few specific projects where we may work more closely with, let's say, as an example, our structural engineer, because we're doing something that's really um, crazy and different. And we, we actually maybe might workshop that a little bit and sit down and work through the problem together. I think that's maybe a little more on the collaborative end. Or if we are working with our MEP consultants on trying to make a net zero project, you know, at that point our, you know, we're, I think it's leaning a little bit more towards collaboration because we are, you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's still cooperation, but I feel like we work more closely when we have a very clear common goal and it's not just maybe your everyday typical project. Um, so, I mean, I think we see both. And then of course, you know, we do work uh, with other architects where we're both in the model designing together and whether that's they take it through DD and we take it the rest of the way or flip flop or we're interior, their exterior. Um, I think I think some of that leans a little bit more towards collaboration, especially if we're working, you know, in the same model together. Um, a lot of times we are, you know, we're 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 all up in each other's space. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that lends itself a little bit more to collaboration. But I would agree that cooperation is probably a better word. Let's not pretend that we're collaborating on everything. I on like everything. The idea, yeah. actually of every project we cooperate together, but then there are certain aspects of a given project that we collaborate together because there are, you know, a specific goal that you and I both care deeply about. Um, I thought it was an interesting way to frame the conversation that, uh, that you all had because 
you know, I think we, we talk about like, what are collaboration myths and, you know, what are impediments to collaboration? And maybe it's not even an issue as much as the terminology is wrong. Um, John, you, you went as far as to add a couple more C's to it. What was the thought there? You had communication and coordination. Well, I mean, I mean, communication is needed no matter what you do, right? Um, if you collaborate, you're going to communicate in some fashion. And if you cooperate, you're going to communicate in some fashion. And the coordinate, I don't know why I threw that in there. I guess I was just on the whole alliteration thing. Um, <laughs> Four mean, C's are better than three. I mean, you know, if you think about it, coordination is uh, is something we we do almost without almost without putting a, uh, maybe the right amount of thought behind it when we're working with our consultants. Uh, sometimes we just trust them to, you know, <laughs> work around our design or, you know, vice versa. And I think that's not always maybe the best way. And um, I know that, you know, in a lot of projects, coordination happens more when it gets um, to pre-con. And I, frankly, I think, you know, the architects and consultants should be doing a lot more of the coordination before it gets to pre-con. I don't know how you feel about that, but... Um, well, I mean, you know, you know what they say about assumptions. So. <laughs> I would yeah, agree. I mean, I, I That's mean, a mic just... drop. <laughs> John just left the room. <laughs> I mean, I would agree. I think that with all the tools out there, um, you know, I feel like we maybe back in the day, John, I'm a little bit older than, than you might think, you know, when we did drawings um, in CAD, we spent more time coordinating the drawings because we had to, we had to, we, we didn't have a model where we could cut a section and just see if the ductwork was there. You know, we had to like lay drawings on top of each other and it, whether that be digitally or, you know, like literally on your desk or tape it up on a window um, and, and see, you know, is this ductwork in the right place or is this plumbing going to hit you know, structural or, or things like that. And I think that we're assuming that the tools are doing some of that for us, but we still need to be proactively doing that ourselves. We just have better I, I, tools to do it with now. I'm so, I mean, it does okay. make it easier when you can vir virtualize the environment, whereas, you know, 20, even 20 years, 15, 20 years ago, most of that was flat and it was much harder to make sure three-dimensionally that what you were seeing was what was really going to be built, you know? Yeah. So I, I, th I think the technology's made it easier to do it. So maybe that's, that's a good thing as long as people are doing it and doing it well. I, uh, this is probably a topic for another, another day, but when you were talking about that, it, I was thinking about how I, I as when I, in my past life, um, I was focused on efficiency a lot. Like, you know, the more efficient I can be, the more time we could spend designing. But what I noticed is I, I became obsessed almost in making tools that eliminate thought um, because I, was, I knew that they were foolproof, right? And that at the same time does a disservice to everyone else on the team, I would think, um, when we start to automate too much. So it, when we talk about, we still have to, coordinate we still have to think through the design and actually think about what we're doing there's a fine line bef between that level of efficiency too because if we build too much information into a, a family or whatever it may be 
and we start to erode the need for thought, um, I think we're actually going to do a disservice to you know, ourselves and the industry as a whole. We actually have that discussion in our office a lot. And, you know, it's kind of like, where is that line? Um, you know, and I know this sounds crazy, but we, you know, we have some projects that use kind of specs and keynotes, um, which is an automated process. It, you know, it, not an automated, it's, it's a, um, it, it reduces errors in, nomenclature let's say mm -hmm. well and, and i guess that's the way that we started looking at that but our original discussions were if the thing already knows what it is how are you learning to detail and design and draw and and so we've kind of found that fine line between the two but that's always a discussion you know how are we teaching young younger people in our office how to do their jobs i mean I would say 90% of what we do, we learn on the job. And if we're taking some of that learning out of their hands and automating it, we might be shooting ourselves in the foot. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that a little bit. I think the, I think the, the keynoting um, conduct style keynoting that you reference is an interesting one because that, that was a concern back in the day um, at the big G when I worked there was, you know, we wanted to use them for exactly that to help with more consistent um, labeling of items so that, you know, it was the same from project to project and sheet to sheet. And so instead of just using the number or the description, we opted to label it with both. So that yeah. it was also encouraging somebody who may not know what the heck they were tagging or what that item was when they did tag it, that it here's the section and the specification and we were encouraging people to actually know, know and, and read the specification for the project too. And I would argue that as a, I mean, if I were a contractor, I, that makes it easier for me to reference the spec and hopefully all, all UGCs out there, don't forget about our spec books. We spend a lot of time on them. <laughs> They're not very pretty, but they, they it's, it's a lot of really great information. And legally, if you're looking at a model in a spec book, I mean, the spec book is part of the documents. So I think, I think having the ability, again, a tool that is helping us to convey our design intent and information better, um, you know, why aren't we using it more? So. I think those are great points. Uh, there's one more thing I want to tie as we start to wrap up a little bit, maybe leads into the last topic or, uh, you know, kind of thoughts on how do we go from here? How do we improve? But the one is, it kind of ties in the impediments of collaboration, but it also ties in everything we've talked about is, I wonder if um, the, the, the true issues we see in collaboration, cooperation, communication, all simply come down to personality. Um, because, you know, I've mentioned this in the last podcast, but if you sat an architect down and looked at all their attributes that made a great architect and all the attributes that made a great contractor, they're probably totally conflicting individuals as just people. And now we're asking those conflicting type folks to now be able to collaborate and work together. Um, so, I mean, for both of you, do you see as we try to uh, move forward and push things, is it really, should it be distilled down to, we need to learn how to simply just interact with people and disagree with people and behave with people 
before we can even get to a true collaboration on a, on a project? Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's the wrap up, you know? I mean, I, I do think like, it's easy for us to talk about, like, oh, we need to collaborate. Oh, we have all these great tools. But I, I personally don't think the tool is the problem. I think, and I'm gonna say the people are the problem. Um, but like the ability to disagree and the ability to, to actually have conversations and the fact that we are just different in general and you know, we kind of find ourselves sometimes in a me culture, is that the true impediment to collaboration in our industry or really anywhere, but. Well, I, th I think that and, and the fear of legal action, you know, being wrong and being sued for it. Um, but I, I think it's a couple of things. Um, but I do think, I, th I think some people are naturally, you know, maybe it's a personality trait that, that drives this. I don't know. I think it's part generational. Um, but I think that um, I think people want to work more closer on projects. It's just not we're just not always structure or used to doing it. And I think it's just going to take a little time before some of those barriers um, more consistently shed away. Um, and I'm hoping that they do, you know, but at the same time, I, I still think it's the people that need to make that happen. The, to the tools are, <laughs> you know, it. The tools are the tools, right? It takes people to use those tools. And if the tools can help them do it better, then they still have to do it. Yeah, and to, to kind of piggyback, John, on what you mentioned about kind of generational differences, we have, you know, we have a, a fairly young office. And I would say a lot of our younger staff, you know, collaborating through a tool is more comfortable for them. They're from a social media age. They're used to, you know, talking and, and coordinating and doing everything through a piece of technology. So sometimes being in a room with a contractor can be a little intimidating. One thing that we've started doing in-house um, that, that we're going to roll out this year to, to our staff is a professional development series. And, um, you know, some of that series is going to be about how to how to do those things and, and how to be more confident in a meeting and, um, you know, be assertive, but also, you know, learn how to compromise and cooperate with, with other people. And, you know, I, 15 years ago, I don't know if we had those kinds of opportunities available to younger staff, but I don't even know, I don't know if it was as, as needed. Um, so I think, I think we're looking at it as a, you know, a people issue partly um you know we have the tools there to help us solve that problem but then also addressing exactly what you said christopher kind of at at the personal level how are we handling that so hopefully we'll see some improvement over this year i'll have to i think that's a great yeah. um, concept i don't hear many people talk about like a you know, true professional development i mean we always hear training, oh, we're going to do a lunch and learn to show you how to use Revit or Bluebeam, but seldom do you see a lot of like true professional development. So I think that's a great um, aspirational goal for you all to work towards. You know, it's interesting you said I, maybe it wasn't needed before, and I, I get that. Um, I could also say, argue that it probably was always needed and it never <laughs> happened because I would say, and I'm not going to stereotype, but... I've had a difficult time cooperating or maybe communicating um, with different generations. So it's not always just the younger, but 
I think everyone would have benefited from the ability to actually have some professional development. And I always said, you know, I encouraged anyone to um, younger professionals to ask to be tagged along to a meeting. And I would always ask to go to a meeting. And my rationale was simply this. I don't want the first meeting that I run to be the first meeting that I'm in because I won't know how to handle myself. And so being able to have that opportunity to simply sit in a meeting and see how John handles adversity, how he handles those difficult conversations and how, you know, cause those are hard, those crucial conversations where you're talking money or, you know, someone dropped the ball clearly being able to see your, uh, your professionals, your mentors handle those, I think is, is super critical. So I commend you for the y'all's initiative there. It's, it's going to be fun. We've got some interesting topics and um, yeah, there's been a lot of excitement around it. So surprisingly, I think it's just, it's going to be really well attended. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm super pumped. I'm going to go to all of them. <laughs> I think it's awesome. Well, uh, John, Christina, I am very appreciative you chose to join me. I had a great time getting a chat with John and Christina today. It sounds like we really need to start practicing the four C's, collaboration, cooperation, communication, and coordination to be successful. I really like what Hastings is doing in terms of professional development of their younger staff, and I think it's a great step in the right direction for pushing our industry forward. As always, check back for more. Follow us on all your social medias, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. You know, we're, we're kind of everywhere now. And listen to us on anywhere you listen to podcasts. Give us five stars, like us, do whatever you can, tell everyone about us, keep pushing us out there. Again, I'm your host, Christopher Riddell, and I appreciate you listening. Later.